This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. 18 years from tonight, Grant Gill will become a comedy legend when he totally kills it at his improv class's graduation performance. Knees will be slapped. Hilarity will ensue. That's why he's already keeping himself in shape and razor sharp today with wellness tips and tools from AARP to help make sure his health lives as long as he does. Because the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash healthy living. This episode is brought to you by Smart Food Popcorn. Some decisions aren't the best, like skipping ahead in your favorite podcast. Think of all the banter you'll miss, the lore in the making. Luckily, Smart Food Popcorn is a no-brainer. Deliciously tasty and available in a variety of fun flavors. It's a smart decision every time. Smart food. Add smart. To learn more, visit smartfood.com. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Hello, I'm Oliver Condit, the editor of BBC Music Magazine, and welcome to the BBC Music Podcast. You can buy a copy of the magazine at your local newsagents or download our app to your iPad, Kindle Fire or Android tablet. And for the latest music news and more, head to our website at classical-music.com. Hello, and welcome to our monthly cover CD podcast, in which we take a brief look at the works on the disc that accompanies the latest issue of BBC Music Magazine. I am Jeremy Pound, the magazine's deputy editor... And with me today is our staff writer, Rosie Pentreath. Hello. We're going to be discussing our November issue CD of symphonies by Schumann and Schubert, their first and fourth respectively. We'll begin with the Schumann. We may be currently plunging headlong into autumn, but shut your eyes for a moment and imagine yourselves on a sunny April morning, throwing open the windows and taking in a nice deep breath. Here we go. That was the very opening of Schumann's First Symphony, commonly known as the Spring Symphony. 
It's played on our cover CD by the BBC Philharmonic under Jan Andrea Nozeda. Composed in 1841, the work's general joie de vivre pretty much reflects the composer's frame of mind at the time, doesn't it, Rosie? Absolutely. Schumann was totally ecstatic when he wrote this symphony, and you can hear it in the enthusiasm and the, the kind of positive excitement of the opening. The brass chords are really triumphant, and then the strings and winds when they come in, they're, they're sort of full of energy and lightness. Um, yeah, you can just feel the excitement. Schumann had recently married Clara, and he kind of expressed how the works were positively flowing out of him just after this. Um, uh, he composed numerous orchestral pieces, and this symphony itself only took four days to sketch, apparently. Um, finally, I thought, I thought it would be um, interesting to note that in his diary he said, I am full of thanks to my guardian angel, who has let me finish a large work with such ease. And he had added that he was tempted to smash his piano because it, it, it was too limiting and he was so excited by his orchestral writing. Blimey. Well, the uplifting vigour of the first movement is followed by some of the most glorious music in Schumann's entire orchestral output, in my opinion. If this larghetto coming up doesn't describe a composer in love, I just don't know what does. There we go then. Well, that moment of Larghetto Wonderland was just the beginning of the second movement of Schumann's first symphony. Just give us a little background to Robert and Clara Schumann's relationship, Rosie, because it didn't get off to the easiest start, did it? No, it didn't. Um, Clara's the daughter of Schumann's piano teacher, Frederick Wieck. Wieck wasn't keen on the proposal to marry Clara. I think it was mainly for financial reasons, but he, um, I'll come to it later, but he, he kind of started digging for more reasons. It was really unfair because... Um, uh, Vieck had actually written his daughter out of his inheritance and Schumann knew about this, they were close. Um, so he offered her his hand in marriage, um, but Vieck objected and there were long legal proceedings in which he accused, he accused Schumann of drunkenness as well as um, not having the financial stability. Um, it took a long time, but they eventually married in 1840, um, which, is, which explains why Schumann was so happy. But also um, Clara's... Clara was expecting her first baby as well in the winter of 1840, so by the time the symphony was coming round, they were just ecstatic. Excellent. And let's hear a bit more of that, that jollity. Here's where the spring of Schumann's spring symphony really well kind of springs into life. This is the opening of the Allegro Animato e Grazioso Finale.
That was Schumann's first symphony, performed by the BBC Philharmonic under Jan Andrea Nozeda. Also on our November cover CD is Schubert's fourth symphony, again played by the BBC Phil, but this time conducted by Juan Homeno. Unlike the Schumann, you won't find much in the way of spring here. That was the beginning of Schubert's fourth symphony, nicknamed The Tragic. Given the bright and breeziness of the third and fifth that sit either side of it, the fourth's gloomier nature comes as something of a surprise. But for all the angst and despondency that pervades his later works, Schubert wasn't really in a dark place in his life when he wrote the fourth, was he, Rosie? No, not at all. He, um, he'd passed his final teaching exams in 1814, so, so the symphony was written in 1816, just two years after that. Um, and he'd completed his first opera in 1814, um, and from 1811 to 23, he was so busy with operatic things. And, and apart from that, he just had this huge compositional catalogue building up and lots of works performed all over the place. I think, I think the tragic nature of the symphony kind of comes from, um, although it takes, it clearly takes influence from Mozart, um, there's kind of a Beethovenian feel to it. It's, it's got those kind of uneasy harmonic progressions at the beginning and that kind of brooding opening. So I think that's, that's what contributes to that, really. Possibly the most characterful moment in the Fourth Symphony is the short Allegro Vivace third movement, which, as you suggest, is full of Beethoven-like unease, giving way only briefly to a lighter mooded moment in a major key before returning to composer with sore head mode. Here is its beginning. That was the third movement of Schubert's Fourth Symphony, played by the BBC Philharmonic under Juan Homena. You'll find it on the cover CD of the November issue of BBC Music Magazine, out now. We'll be back with another cover CD podcast next month, when we'll be looking at works by C.P.E. Bach. In the meantime, as we say goodbye... Goodbye. We'll let the fist-thumping Franz Schubert usher you out.
you for listening to this BBC Music Magazine podcast, which was produced in our Bristol studio by Jack Fletcher. For more of our podcasts, visit our website at classical-music.com or simply head to iTunes.